Well, praise the Lord for that good song under God. Those two words inserted into the Pledge of Allegiance in the 50s. I'll mention that in the message. Under God, that's the only hope for America. Psalm number 11 this morning. Psalm number 11. We'll begin in verse number 3 and we'll read through verse number 7 this morning. Psalm number 11, get your Bibles if you will and go to Psalm number 11. We'll begin in verse number 3 and we'll go through verse number 7. David the psalmist writes, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord loveth righteousness, His countenance doth behold the upright. Heavenly Father, I pray as I preach your word this morning that I would be filled with the Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit of God would guide my every thought and every word. May it please you. May it bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, may you use the message to call our nation to revival. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm preaching this morning on the subject, revival or ruin. In Psalm number 11, the psalmist is hurting over his beloved nation Israel. The foundation of truth and righteousness was being undermined And taken away. While he personally held to his faith in God, he was concerned for what was happening and what would happen to his nation. The psalmist asked a question, and it's somewhat of a question statement in verse number three, where he says, If the foundations be destroyed, What can the righteous do? However, he does not end with that question statement. He goes on to say that the Lord is in heaven, he is on his throne, and he is beholding the children of men. His eyelids try, or he is focusing on uh, the righteous and the wicked. The Bible tells us here that he brings judgment on the wicked. And the Bible tells us that he loves righteousness and he beholds the upright. Therefore, we conclude from this psalm that the only thing the righteous can do if the foundations be destroyed is to keep promoting righteousness. You see, as I look through the pages of the Word of God and the pages of history, I find that God is very involved in the affairs of mankind. 
Now, since the days of the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were there and Satan entered the garden, he had been cast out of heaven. Because of his pride, Satan entered the garden and the battle between good and evil began. God, of course, not only brought a curse because of sin that was on the earth and the thorns began to grow, God also pronounced a death sentence on Satan that eventually Satan would be destroyed for all eternity and good would prevail. Since that time, the battle of good and evil has raged and we've seen it in history past. We see it in the behavior of today. However, one thing that we find as we read the pages of history and the pages of the Word of God, when the battle of good and evil rages, righteousness always wins. I want you to think with me this morning as I go through just a few illustrations to point out as good and evil and that battle rages, righteousness always wins and righteousness will win in the end. Let's begin with the days of Noah. These were the days of gross wickedness. And I could take a long time to describe all of the behavior that got the attention of God and it repented the Lord that he had made man. It seemed that the battle of good and evil was over and that evil had prevailed. For the only righteous person on the earth was a preacher by the name of Noah. The Bible says Noah preached righteousness for a hundred and twenty years. The folks rejected the message of Noah. They rejected the righteousness and it seemed that evil would prevail. However, God brought judgment and every person on earth was killed other than Noah and his wife, their three sons and their wives. There were eight people spared. And when you look at that period of time, it looks like evil takes over and evil wins. But when you come to the end, ruin takes over, judgment comes, and righteousness wins. Let's go to the next story. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah. These were days of sin and wickedness. In fact, the wickedness was so great that it came up to God and it got God's attention. God was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, a man of righteousness, came to God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and specifically because of his nephew Lot that lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know the story, and I'll not go through all of the details, but Abraham said, if I could find 50 righteous people in these cities, would you spare them? And God said, I will. As their conversation continued, Abraham came to the number 10 and said, if I could find but 10 righteous, would you spare the city from judgment? God said, I will. Sadly, there were not 10 righteous and God had Lot and his wife and family brought out of Sodom and Gomorrah 
and it looked like the hope of good and righteousness was gone, but ruin was a result of their behavior, and righteousness prevailed. Sodom and Gomorrah is just cities of the past no longer in existence. Let's think of the days of the Babylonian captivity. This is when the mighty army under Nebuchadnezzar came uh, to the nation of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem, and destroyed not only the city, but tore down the temple brick by brick, took out the silver, took the gold, took the vessels that were used in the house of God to worship God, and they took them to Babylon. They took of the people of Israel the better, uh, the more educated, uh, uh, those that had talent and ability, and they became slaves in the land of Babylon. Well, it looks like evil is going to win, and good or righteousness will be forgotten. You read the story and you find that God is the one that empowered Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army. And God is the one that used them to bring judgment on the nation of Israel. Ruin came. Babylon was gone. Righteousness won again. Let's go to a different story and one of revival. The days of Hezekiah when he became king in the land of Israel. Hezekiah recognized that the nation was far from God, far from worshiping God, and they were living in their own idolatrous, sinful, selfish, lustful ways. As a result of that, they knew that God's judgment was going to come, ruin would come, and so Hezekiah, of course the story uh, they began to clean up the temple and clean out the temple and someone came and said, I found the book. They read the word of God. They read the law specifically. And when folks heard the law and how far they were from the law, there was a day of repentance and Hezekiah brought about revival. You know what the result was? The same as before. Whether it's revival or ruin, righteousness always wins. The same was true when the boy king Josiah became the king and he followed the ways of his father. David would have been his forefather, not his father, but a forefather and he recognized in the nation of Israel when they obeyed God, God blessed them. When they disobeyed God, he, uh, that brought judgment and so Josiah, he destroyed the behavior of idolatry and the altars of uh, idolatry. And when he did, revival came to the land. You know what happened? Righteousness wins. Think of any story you want to think of in the Bible. The days of Elijah were days of revival. You find the story on Mount Carmel. One prophet of God, 450 prophets of Baal and all of those prophets of Jezebel, and Elijah said, if the Lord be God, then follow him, serve him. The Bible said, and the people answered not a word. However, when the fire fell and consumed the sacrifice after the prayer of Elijah, the people cried, the Lord, he is God. What was the end result? Righteousness wins because of revival. The days of Ahab in Jezebel, those were days of sinfulness. What happened? Ruin was the result of their day, but 
The Bible tells us about Jezebel, how she was up in that upper window, and old Jehu come riding in, and that souped-up chariot that he had, and he always liked to drive fast, the Bible says, and he saw Jezebel up there, and of course, Elijah the prophet had prophesied that she would be killed and the dogs would eat her, and all but her wicked hands and feet in her head, and Jehu said, is any on the Lord's side? cast her down. They threw Jezebel out of that window and the blood splattered on the horses and on the chariot and the dogs came and licked up the blood. You know what happened? Ruin came, but righteousness prevailed. Let me give you one more. The days of the Pharaoh in Egypt. It's interesting as you go through that story, uh, but Pharaoh becomes the world leader. And it's a leader of selfishness, a leader of idolatry. The reason folks worship idols is idols are dead, and they can't give you any rules or regulations for your life. And so it's not like God who gives you law and order to have liberty and joy and freedom in, uh, but they just do as they want, and Pharaoh was the leader of the world. It seemed that good and right and righteousness would be totally destroyed. In fact, God's people were just slaves in the land of Egypt. It was a dark time. It was a time when it seemed that there was absolutely no hope for God's people. The story is amazing. The sovereignty of God from Moses' life being spared and put in a, and, and as a baby put in a basket in the water by the bulrushes and, and guess who finds the baby? It's Pharaoh's wife's daughter and, and while all the babies are being killed, they just so happen and nothing just so happens. The providence of God, God is in control. That baby is brought. Pharaoh's wife, Pharaoh's daughter, they take care of the baby. They say, you want me to find someone that will help you to nurse the child? of the Hebrew women. They said, that's a good idea. So they went and got Moses' mother. I mean, it's amazing how God's in control on the inside, on the outside. It looked like God's people were nothing but slaves. But what's the end of the story? Pharaoh and his army is drowned in the Red Sea. God's people are marching toward the land of Canaan and I can hear them, I can hear them saying, righteousness wins again. Now listen. You say, preacher, it seems like no matter what, righteousness always wins in the end. Now that is true, but that's not the end of the message. Revival is a choice of righteousness rather than the ruin of judgment. And revival makes life much better. Revival brings more blessings to enjoy and brings many more people to know Christ as personal Savior. And can I tell you, it's better for righteousness to win as a result of revival rather than righteousness winning as a result of God's judgment and ruin. And my message to us today is to say, we get to choose what we want. Do we want revival or do we want ruin in our nation? 
I think of Elijah. The Bible says of him, he was a man subject to like passions like as we are. But he prayed that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. That famine was unnecessary. That time of drought was unnecessary. But it came because the people would not choose revival. And after the time of famine, God got their attention and righteousness won as a result of that. Now the truth is today, we have a choice between righteousness and ruin, uh, revival and ruin, while righteousness always wins, I want to say I choose revival. That's why I work for revival. That's why I preach revival. That's why I persuade for revival. That is why I write for revival. That is why I travel and preach for revival. That is why I pray for the people of our day to return to faith in the God of heaven, uh, to the faith of the God, our creator, our savior, our coming king. And I'm going to cry for revival until he comes or until I go to glory. You know why? I don't want righteousness to win by way of ruin. I want righteousness to win by way of revival. It's our choice. Now God always wins. But folks, I'm telling you today, if we don't put God first in our life and choose revival, you say, well, we win anyway. What does it matter? Well, we're going to suffer ruin. We're going to suffer famine. We're going to suffer... I don't know what kind of judgment God would bring. We've been through enough in our nation to recognize that's not the route I want to go. I want to go the route of revival. It has been encouraging in the past month to read the book entitled The Soul of an American President. And this book chronicles the work of President and General Dwight D. Eisenhower to restore America's Christian heritage in three ways. First of all, to call the people of our nation to worship God as Creator to call on Jesus as Savior, and third of all, to attend church. President Dwight D. Eisenhower did these things. You'll find that in the 1950s were years of a return to church and to faith in God. It is said at the end of the 50s, the 1950s, more Americans were going to church than at any time in history. And Dwight D. Eisenhower used his influence as a general in World War II and the President of the United States to help bring that about among the preachers of that day. These were days of booming prosperity. I did just a search on Google and asked the simple question, what was society like in the 1950s? Here's the answer I found. During the 1950s, there was a sense of uniformity that pervaded American society. Conformity was common as young and old alike followed group norms rather than striking out on their own. Though men and women had been forced into new employment patterns during World War II, once the war was over, 
traditional roles were reaffirmed. Talking about dad being dad, mom being mom, children being children, dad's leading, mom supporting, children obeying, and the family unit following the norms or the instruction of the Word of God. The words under God were added to the Pledge of Allegiance as a result of the work of President Eisenhower. He wanted the world to know and he wanted to state to the world America was founded as a Christian nation and we believe that our rights are God-given. By the late 1950s, it is said that half of America was attending church. President Eisenhower contrasted publicly the atheism of the Soviet Union to the faith in God of America. He made some of the most amazing speeches that were heard worldwide that all men should call on God in faith, the God of this Bible right here. He said that he could not imagine leading this nation without a consistent time in prayer. The Cold War that began during those days to him was a battle of good versus evil, right versus wrong, communism versus a republic, atheism versus faith, and America still has freedom today because of the work of not just the president, but those that he encouraged and the preachers of that generation. Now, over the course of history, there have been many times that we as a nation have renewed our faith in God. Out of spiritual darkness, out of human despair, have come times of renewal and revival. Time would not permit me to describe all of the revival events, but there was the great awakening that is well noted and documented in our history during the colonial period before America became a nation independent of its own uh, set, uh, from 1734 to 1743. The second great awakening that took place between 1800 and 1840. It marked three distinct behaviors in our nation, a return to prayer, a return to the Bible, and the lost being converted, accepting Christ as Savior. There was the prayer revival of 1857 and 58. There was the revival of the Civil War, 1861 to 1865, where many soldiers on both sides came to know Christ as their Savior. There were the urban revivals of 1875 to 1885 when men like D.L. Moody were calling men to trust Christ as Savior. And again, it was a renewal to prayer, faith in God, a renewal to the Word of God, and a renewal to call men to repentance of their sin and of faith in Christ. There is note of the post-World War II revival that began in 1947 and 1948 and went well into the 50s when half of America, as I noted, was attending church. You study the days of the 50s and see how blessed our nation was. It was booming in every way and every boom, every time of blessing in American history was directly connected 
to a revival, a choice of righteousness. Now hear me well. These past 60 years, these past 70 years have been years of great decline of church attendance and prayer in American history. Creation has been replaced with the teaching of the lies and theories of evolution. The Bible has been replaced with opinion and education. The Bible, the moral compass of America, has been taken away. Hollywood has poisoned our homes through the television and internet. Millionaire athletes have replaced real heroes, and we've learned to follow idols rather than men of accomplishment. Hear me well, we are headed for ruin, and God's people ought to be praying for, God's people ought to be asking God for, God's people ought to be working for revival rather than our nation headed for ruin. Let's call our nation back to God and say, I know righteousness wins in the end, but it'd be a lot easier route to get there through revival than through ruin. Now, I called your attention to the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. The Old Testament prophet, he prophesied that righteousness always wins. He said in Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Now, I don't know what happens in the end. I go to Revelation chapter 19. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 19, and let's begin in verse number 11. Here's what comes at the end of time when the trumpet of God would sound and the dead in Christ would be raised and then we would meet them in the clouds. We go to heaven. The seven-year tribulation period then begins on the earth. After the seven-year tribulation period, we have uh, the great war uh, that takes place on the earth when the blood flows to the, uh, uh, to the horse's bridle. And uh, we see all of that. And then we see God brings judgment. I want you to notice, here's what the Bible said. I'm telling you, uh, through revival or ruin, righteousness always wins, uh, but today we ought to be choosing revival than going the route of ruin. Revelation 19 and 11, the Bible says, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's you and me by the way. Bless God. I'm on the winning side and I can't help but get excited no matter what the score is, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the media declares. I can help but when I get a hold of the word of God and I find out that I'm on the winning side I can't help but to shout today and sing today I'm on the winning side he says the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of uh, and wrath of almighty God 
God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to say righteousness wins. It always wins. God wins in the end. Truth wins. Righteousness prevails. Why would we want to go through the route of ruin? I say today we ought to choose revival. If we choose to renew our relationship with the Lord, we can have revival. We can have revival if we choose to worship Him as Creator and Savior. We can have revival if we choose to walk in His ways according to the Word of God. We can have revival if we choose to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We can have revival if we choose to tell others about Him and encourage them to place their faith in Christ. We can have revival if we choose to teach another generation about Him and His Word. Folks, I'm telling you, whether by revival or ruin, righteousness wins, but it is so much better if we choose right, if we choose righteousness through revival. And so I preach to you today, let's get right with God. Let's be right with God. Let's stay right with God. Let's get on fire for God. Let's get full of the Word of God. And let's declare again that our nation can have revival. Now here's what I want to say as I close. I believe in 2016 and 17 in our nation, there was a prayer awakening. There was a prayer soberness that came from a fear of where our nation was headed. Now if you remember, in those days they were talking about putting transgender restrooms. They were talking about the teaching of the transgender issue to children, telling them that they could decide at 12 or 13 or 15 what gender they wanted to be. I'm talking about a perverseness like we've never seen before. I'm talking about a direction of wickedness and it sobered us to the place of prayer. Here's what happened. 2016, 2017, America went to God in prayer and said, Oh God, give us another chance. Here's what I believe. I believe God gave to us a space of grace. And I believe that same battle, that same war that began in the Garden of Eden between good and evil, right and wrong, Satan and God, I believe that war is raging in our day. And I want to tell you today, I know righteousness wins, but I'd rather get there by way of revival than ruin. And so, child of God, I call you today to prayer for our nation, for ourselves, for our sins. I call us to return not only to the God of the book, but to the book of our God. I call you to open it and say, Lord, I want to live in a way that's pleasing to you. Help me to follow your precepts, your instruction, your commandments, your law. God, I want you to get glory in my life. Tell someone in your family. Tell a friend about what they can find through salvation from Christ if they would simply trust Him. I'm saying to you today, Let's not let righteousness come by way of judgment and ruin. Let's have righteousness return by way of revival. I'm going to ask my wife to come to the piano and begin to play an invitation song. 
one of the tough things about church services this way is we lose the effect of the, uh, of the invitation and the decision time. Could I please still have your attention? Don't just say, well, that was another sermon on revival. You personally, you, sir, you, husband, you, father, that leads your home, you, mom, you, dear wife, that supports your husband, children, you, that is supposed to be obedient to the leadership of your parents. Do you see that the battle is raging? We see it in the streets of our cities. The battle is not a political one. The Cold War was not political only. It was spiritual. Oh, how let's hunger for revival. As she plays on the imitation song, would you ask God, oh God, use my life as light and salt in our nation today. Oh God, forgive us of our sin. Oh God, we do want you. We do want what's right. We do want the Word of God. We do want to live in righteousness. We do want to turn from our sin. Oh God, give us revival in our land. The psalmist said, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? He concludes, We can just continue to be righteous because God, as He beholds the children of men, He sees the wicked and He sees the righteous. He judges the wicked. He loves righteousness. He beholds the upright. Righteousness always wins even when the score is millions to one. Righteousness always wins. I don't know about you. I don't want my children to suffer ruin because... I was not spiritual enough to live in revival. I don't want my children to suffer through whatever God may bring as a judgment. I want them to experience the prosperity and blessings at the hand of God that would come through a spiritual awakening, a revival in our nation. Now, Heavenly Father, my heart yearns to see revival in our land. I could easily close my book, leave the ministry and say, well, it doesn't matter, God's going to win in the end. And that would be true. But this generation would suffer from whatever judgment that came to this land. I'd rather righteousness win through revival than through ruin. Oh God, help us to not grow weary. Help us to not grow cold. But dear God, help us to hunger for a revival from on high. Use us, I pray in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to watch again tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll enjoy singing. We'll enjoy time of prayer. Tonight I'm preaching on the subject, I Still Believe in America. I'll see you at 6.